Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. The Australian Open in 2023 is a week old and it has been a cracking tournament so far. Yeah, we had withdrawals. Yeah, certain players didn't get far, but it has created an abundance of narratives that we cannot wait to talk about on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me as he always does, and he is exciting. He's excited. Look at him. I can just see him through the screen now. He's so keen to get into this week in this tournament and this chat. Uh, Joel Frucci, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Val. Uh, I like to think I'm an exciting man as, as well. Just, you are. Just, you just are an exciting man. I do enjoy yeah, I do enjoy your company. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Just uh, I've been absolutely loving uh, the tennis. Got down a couple of nights, um, Tuesday and Friday night. Unbelievably good vibes. Friday night, saw a couple of cracking matches at Margaret Court Arena, Hubier Cash versus Denis mm. Shapovalov and uh, Maria Sakkari and Min Zhu as well. So an upset there. But um, how are you, mate? You must be uh, you must be feeling the pinch a little bit. You've uh, you've been here, there, and everywhere around the grounds. Yeah, we've yeah, it's been a I've been doing stuff at the, the first, first serve. Our our great friends uh, at the first serve, the first serve AU on social media. Um, no, nah, it's been it's been a really good fortnight. Um, lot of long days, but um in and around work as well. So, um, yeah, the days have been fairly uh, fairly strenuous, but the tennis has been really good. And, you know, I've enjoyed watching watching some of the players play. I, went, I made sure that I went and got to see Rafa at least once just before, and we'll, we'll chat about Rafa later. And I'll tell you what, Joel, I saw Ben Shelton play against Alexei Popperin last night. Oh. And it got me thinking, who who better to speak to? about American tennis and where that is right now and where the men's side especially is right now than Mike Cation. Now, a tennis broadcaster, journalist extraordinaire, hosts the Behind the Racket podcast with Noah Rubin, uh, commentates all the Challenger Tour uh, matches over there in America and um, and is one of the most... Um, he's across everything in terms of American tennis um, and caught up with him today. Really, really, really interesting chat. Can't wait for everybody to hear it because the the passion that he's got for American tennis and just talking about where it actually is, is, is fascinating because Ben Shelton has had such a meteoric and rapid rise up the rankings and look at what he's putting together. JJ Wolf, um, Holt, uh, Brendan Holt. Um, Sebi Corder absolutely demolishing Daniel Medvedev, Mackenzie McDonald defeating Rafael Nadal, Brandon Nakashima, Marcus Giron, uh, Tommy Paul, Riley Apelka's not playing at the moment, but he's there. And then we're forgetting Taylor Fritz and, and Francis Tiafo. American tennis is sitting in such a wonderful position at the moment. And it's it's really good to see. Michael Moe is another one that we'll touch on with um with Mike. So yeah, it's it's been, an, and I guess, yeah, it's it's just been unbelievable. They have dominated this Australian Open. And we'll start with the ATP side. And um, look, the, I think the big thing here is that Novak Djokovic's hamstring seems to be holding the draw together. Because <laughs> without that, I think we've got, we've if he goes down, I think we've got, we've, we've got a tournament where we have no idea who is going to win. And that's as simple as that. Yeah, well, it's been that kind of tournament, hasn't it, Val? Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, look, the first thing I'll say is that, I, look, I, I think Novak will probably win against uh, Alex Demon or tomorrow night, Monday night. Um, although I give Demon a, a red-hot crack yeah. um, at home in, in, in Melbourne. But, yeah, I mean, look, you're right. Like, the, the, the draw has just absolutely opened up um, so much. It's been a fantastic events on both sides but the men's side especially um it's been a long time since we've seen something like this um and it's fantastic and what i really like about it is that um when you look at the remaining names um there's a lot of uh new names there of course you look at you know a lot of names that you've already mentioned seb quarter um jj wolf yidi lahechka tommy paul um ben shelton um Holger Runa, obviously a bit, a bit higher ranked in the world, but it's you know we we haven't seen him um, deep in Grand Slams often yet in in his young career, but also um, you know some players that have have been around for for a little while, but you know we're kind of really wait, waiting for them to kind of make their mark, yeah. yep. I guess. Um, you look at the likes of uh, Roberto Batista Agu, 
um, Andre Rublev. Um, and the one that I really love is Karen Kashinov. And, um, you know, he, we've seen him go deep in Grand Slams before, semifinals at the, at the US Open. But I, I found it absolutely remarkable that up until now, he hadn't been past the third round of an Australian Open. I could not believe that. Well, his um, draws have been very unlucky. Like last year, oh, he, he copped, last year he copped Rafa um, in yeah. the third round, which is never easy. And and yeah, I, yeah. I like how you bring him up because he's kind of become the forgotten man of Russian tennis in a way, not completely forgotten. Oh, he definitely but, has. But he definitely kind of, has. But kind of shoved aside a little bit because, and if you remember, he was the first one of this trio of Rublev, Medvedev, Kashinov to break the top ten. In 2018, mm. he won the Paris Masters, beat Djokovic in the final, and everybody thought, oh, my God, look look how good he is. Then within yeah. a year, Daniel Medvedev had made a Grand Slam final, and a year after that, Andre Rublev was in the top 10, and Karen has kind of been sort of cast aside. But now he's the form, yeah. he's the form Russian, and there's no yeah, doubt abs- about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and just on top of that as well, there was that little period when, I mean, not so much now, but there was that kind of little spell where even someone like Aslan Karatsev was kind of yeah. um, really, really, um, you know, rising up the rankings. He had that meteoric meteoric rise a couple of years ago and, and he was almost overtaking Karen as well. So look, um, I think it's great because look, we, we, we've, we've known for a long time that he's capable of making deep runs and, mm. um, and yeah, seems to be. Uh, we we always like to talk about you know the, the people that the players are. He seems to be a a pretty good egg um, a, a, as well. Um, and yeah, had a had a great run um, through through the tournament. Um, Love the match against Francis Tiafo um, in in the third round, and then um, absolutely dealt with um, Yoshihito Nishioka uh, today. Six love, six love. Yeah, Seven I think six. I think this he's bought bought his own Baker's Delight franchise because uh, he's handing out bagel, <laughs> bagels left, right, and center. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm just gonna drop that in. But no, it's um no, he's he he has played an exceptional tournament, and um you know hearing around the grounds, there's there, there's talks that he is primed, that he's primed for a big run because he's striking the ball as well as ever. Um, and and you you look back, I watched him in depth against Jason Kubler and Kubler didn't play badly. I thought, I thought Jason Kubler was absolutely magnificent in that second round contest. And Kashinov was unbelievable. He played a sensational match. So he's looking really good and he'll take on Sebastian quarter in the, um, in the quarterfinal. So he's made in grand slam quarterfinal at at 25 years after his father last won the event uh, or won his only grand slam, which is quite remarkable. So, um, I love the footage of Seb walking past his dad's little um, little uh, LED screen in the tunnel on the way to um, uh-huh. on the way to the court and just giving it a little fist yeah. bump and um, and Andre Agassi as well who's done some mentoring with him but he has played an exceptional brand of tennis because it what Novak Djokovic that that loss in Adelaide could have screwed around with his mind a little bit but. The way that he came out and played Daniel Medvedev in that third round, I thought was nothing short of perfection. Medvedev threw absolutely everything at him. Was down a double break in the opening set, came back, forced it to a tie break. Second set, quarter, got the break early, managed to maintain it. Third set, quarter, upper break. Medvedev forces it to a tie break. And Seb just dealt with him. And he hit him off the court, which is one of the most impossible things to do in tennis is to actually hit through Daniel Medvedev. It's I don't think I've ever seen it done, and he did it. And it was it was mesmerizing to watch. And then today, he gets past Hubert Hercash after Hercash had a mini break in that final set tiebreak. He just started to redline a little bit. Then he made a few errors. Hercash got it back on serve. And then that match point, it was about a 20-shot rally. And oh, then Corda deals man. with it with a backhand up the line. It's spectacular. The guy has got the willingness to play shots. He gets a little bit tight, but that comes with, you know, that's his inexperience showing right there. Mm-hmm. But this kid is made of the real deal. And he is, sorry, the right stuff. And he is the real deal. I have no doubt about it. Watching him this week, I've got every every ounce of confidence that he will be a top 10 player one day. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm thinking you're right, Val. And um, look, we've we've seen it before in, in tennis that um, often it can only it can only take one run really at a, at a major to to really set up an entire career. Um, and 
Look, I think we've all sort of looked to Seb Quarter and, and thought, yeah, this this guy's got talent and he can really be something. But um, yeah, it feels like this is going to be a breakout year. He's he's started started the season in in a great vein of form. Um, and you know, I run to the Australian Open quarterfinals, um, quarter in the quarterfinals, the quarterfinals. There you go. Um, it's really only part of the equation because if if we think back to Adelaide, of course, he had match points against Novak Djokovic. So, yep. um, yeah, and like when you look at it, uh, when you look at it that way, that doesn't happen often. Um, that, I mean, really, if you if you think about it, um, it's almost a rite of passage to have match points against Novak in a final and lose. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, look, sky's the limit for for Sebi Quarter, and. Um, yeah, just part of this incredible wave of American men coming through. It's uh, yeah, as 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 Aussies, where not not to say that our crop is uh, is is um, you know no good, but uh, wow, it's uh, there's something in the water over there in the states. Yeah, well, there's a better. That's all we can say. The Americans are yeah. flying. They're, they're better the than most, to be fair. a hundred percent. This new wave. I think, yeah, we're going to be seeing... It's been nearly 20 years since an American last lifted a men's Grand Slam. Um, Andy Roddick at the US Open in 2003. I dare say that we're going to be seeing one very, very, very soon out of any of that bunch. It's it's quite staggering. We'll get to more of them later, but... Um, another quarterfinalist, a maiden Grand Slam quarterfinalist, Yuri Lehechka, played in the ATP Next Gen mm. Finals last year. He's only 21 years old, and he's only he's six foot one, a light frame at the moment. But geez, the way he played against Felix Auger Aliassime today was so impressive. And Felix won the first set, um, but then the next three going the way of the young Czech, uh, the Czech man, and six three seven six seven six to do it in the clutch moments against Felix, who. He's one of the form players coming into January mm. with the way that he finished the year. I think he's mightily impressive and, you know, he's looked really, really solid. And this Netflix curse, well, it's officially killed oh, off everybody, yeah. Joel. All of them are gone. Even the players that had secondary cameos in this Netflix <laughs> show, they are all gone. So, yeah, absolutely unbelievable. But, yeah, Yuri Lehechka. Um, one of the more impressive runs at this Australian Open because he's dealt with Cam Norrie. He's now dealt with Felix Auger mm-hmm. Aliassim. And the way that he's going about his business, you picked it today. You said it might even be worth, you know, possibly getting him on. Um, and considering this man ha- didn't go past the first round at a major last year, lost in all four first rounds, this is mightily, mightily impressive. Yeah. And obviously, you mentioned the caliber of names there Cam Norrie, world number, uh, world number. 12, I think, seed 11. Seed 11, um, yep. Factoring in uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah. Uh, and also Felix. Um, and also yeah. Borna Chorich. And Borna Chorich in the first round. Yeah. No, not not too shabby, those are uh, those those few names. And yeah, he's he's gonna be something, Yidi Lehechka. Um I think the thing that really impressed me was the was the depth of his hitting. Um and so uh, we know how important de- uh, depth is in tennis. But yeah, um on the on the note of the the net the Netflix curse Val uh, I I'll tell you what maybe they should uh, recategorize that to uh, recategorize that to true crime rather than sport because uh, there's just uh, just murders going on everywhere here or well, pretty much because they they've been and look even Francis Tiafo he hasn't featured in an episode yet that's later on but um yeah he's yeah. gone too absolutely unbelievable what's happened this Netflix curse and even before the tournament they took out um who'd they take out um Berrettini Oh, sorry, no, Kyrgios, Badosa, and Tomjanovic all gone. Then Berrettini goes yeah. out first round. It was bizarre. There were murmurs going on around Melbourne Park saying, oh, maybe the players shouldn't be doing this now because who knows, Is you know, <laughs> what the hell has happened? But yeah, um, Yuri Lehechko doing really well. Stefano Tsitsipas and Yannick Sinner. As we record, they are playing Tsitsipas leading two sets to love over Yannick Sinner. So fair to say that he probably gets through there. He's looked very, very good, Joel. And that's he an has. understatement. He has been in scintillating form, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very hard to knock him off before the final. Very hard. The final. I don't know who's gonna be playing him, but I, I just have a feeling that he's gonna get there. He looks primed. Yeah, he really does. And he's uh, as we speak at the time of recording, he's the uh, highest ranked. Uh, male left in in the draw at uh, at seed number three. That's um, true. And he, 
Yeah, and, and he's he's certainly uh, he's certainly carrying the flag in in that sense because uh, he he looks fantastic and um, obviously Yannick Sinner um, no slouch um, probably I don't know he's I'm not sure Yannick's probably had the the best AO. Of course, he, he dropped a couple of sets against uh, the Hungarian barbarian Marton Fucevic, <laughs> um in in the third round. Love that nickname, by the way, Val. But um, look, he's he's obviously no no slouch, Yannick, but he he just can't seem to go with him. Um, yeah, in, in it's weird. Moments. He's yeah, he's he's converted a couple of breaks in in the two sets that we've seen. But um, the impressive thing uh, about Steph is that um, from memory, in in both ensuing games he's been able to break right back um to to reel off a couple of uh six four wins so um yeah he's he's looking really good Steph and um obviously he was playing in the doubles as well with uh with Petros his his brother but uh they're out of that now so um he can he can shift his entire focus um to the singles and uh look I picked him for the final um I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that I, I think he's he's uh he's primed to make the AO final in front of, um, uh, you know, I guess the the second Athens, if you like, uh, of of Melbourne. There's such a, a big Greek population here, so yep. so they'll love that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Novak's going to be waiting for him um, on the on the last night of of the tournament. But uh, we shall see. I'm, uh, yeah, he's he's looking irresistible at the moment, Steph. Well, this is what we need to get to now because I do want to talk about Rafael Nadal, and we will get there. Um, but Novak Djokovic. This might be putting you on the spot, Joel. I don't know. All right, but go for it. Do you believe the injury that he has sustained on his hamstring is as bad as what he's alluding to? Because, uh, look, in all honesty, I don't. The abdominal strain two years ago, I don't know how you can play, do that and and beat Medvedev like, like he did. But And also last night, the hamstring... Incredible amount of pain. Congrats to him for winning. But if you're in that amount of pain, how the hell do you beat Grigor Dimitrov that well and that convincingly in straight sets? Yeah, he, he did it pretty well, Novak. Um, well, I mean, look, you've you've got to, I guess, hand it to the people around him to to get him in uh, get him in the right condition or to to be able to get him through um, these matches with uh, with with this injury, but. Look, I mean, the thing is, and I'm no doctor. I don't, I don't claim to be a doctor, but um, I wish you were. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I was too. Bit of <laughs> bit of money in being a doctor, but That's true. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like when we think about hamstring injuries, right now, like there's the minor end, then there's probably the sort of you know mild, medium cases, I guess, and then the, then there's the severe ones where you're talking about you know you've ripped it off the bone or whatever, yep. but. I mean, if you if you if you're talking about like a like a small tweak or whatever, that that alone is usually at least a, a week or two, right? Then if you then if you're talking about a sort of you know medium type hamstring, that's that's a good month out of action. So yeah, I don't know. It's um look, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, my my head tells me that it's probably not really as bad for that reason because yeah. um just, just you know you know I've, I've, we we both follow a lot of sport, right? We we follow Aussie rules. We follow soccer. We follow tennis, and it doesn't really matter what the sport is. the The severity of a hamstring injury runs the same across the board. And exactly, you know, when, when we when we see it in those sports, obviously they're the ones that we reference there. They're team sports, so I guess there's some room to, um, you know, bring in a replacement for a player. Whereas tennis, of course, you're you're the, the sole entity. But I don't know. It just yeah, it's um. I find it bizarre because uh, I, I haven't really seen too many hamstring injuries that uh, the uh, the acquirer of said injury can back up after a couple of days. It's uh, yeah, it's it's different. I think the the explanation for me saying that it's almost as bad as what it was two years ago with the abdominal strain in terms of the pain. I don't know. And look, this is an AFL example. Richmond, the young Richmond defender Josh Gibkiss has torn his hamstring and he's actually going to be out for the first few rounds of next season, which is nearly, which is three months away. A month and a half away. Well, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But like early rounds means it'll be at least April, May. So mm. I, don't, I don't know. Like that's a, that's a bad tear of the hamstring. 
and that's at least you know nine ten weeks. So you know what are we talking here with Djokovic, and and what are we going to see for the rest of the tournament? How is he going to pull up? And this is the match where I think Alex Dimonor. This is probably his best ever chance to beat Novak Djokovic because the way he plays, Djokovic term eats these guys for breakfast. He's just a better version uh-huh. of this player, and it's true. Yeah, pretty much. He certainly yeah. is, and Novak is just Novak. He's just he's a magician on the tennis court. So Demonor, he just needs to run, get balls back, make Novak run as much as possible, and really test out this hamstring and make him work. This is his best chance that he's ever that he's ever going to have, I reckon, of beating Novak Djokovic. So he really needs to be primed. He's looked absolutely fantastic. Alex Dimonor was a really tricky match in the second round against um, Adrian Manorino, but he managed to fight, fight his way through the tricky opponent, get through that in four, and then he was sensational against Benjamin Bonds. He only dropped three games in the final two sets. So this match, night session on Rod Laver Arena, really looking forward to that one and seeing how that will go. Then in this part of the draw, you've also got Andre Rublev versus Holger Runa. Rublev has kind of co- both of these players have kind of coasted through the draw. They haven't had too many problems with anybody, and now they come up against each other. I like Holger. I really, really do, and I really like his chances of possibly even going on and maybe doing the unthinkable. And I'm well, it's not unthinkable because I'm certainly thinking about it. But I reckon he might be he might be a sneaky chance here, Joel. Uh, look, he, he could be. He could be. Um, Andre's been playing fairly well, though. He, I was really impressed with his with his win over Dan Evans in the third round, 6-4, 6-2, uh, 6-3. I think the big thing with this match between Rublev and Holger Runa is going to be how Holger pulls up from that ankle injury. He had a bit of a tumble against mm. Ugo Umber. But that said, um, that was early in the second set from from memory, um, and after that, he he still managed um, to get through that six two seven six. So trained trained today, it, Joel, and looked very good. Yeah, well, I mean, he he seems to have got through uh, relatively uh, relatively smoothly. So yeah, I mean, based based on that, um, I, I guess you you would have to you can only assume that he's he's going in with uh, a near clean bill of, of health. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's going to be great. Tough to pick a winner. Um, I'm thinking maybe maybe Andre's experience might might get him through. Um, and I think for him, I think he's really got to look at this as probably his best ever chance, really, to go deep into a slam, if if not win it. A lot of the, the top guys are, are gone, with the exception, really, of... Of of Steph and and also Novak, but um yeah, if I'm Andre, I'm, I'm eyeing off that that last four real hard, if if not the final. Um, I think this is his time. He's really got to got to think about it um that way. But of course, uh, a young buck standing in front of him who's obviously got a, got a huge future and and can do a, a bit of damage. I um I caught a bit of his match against Philip Kranovich in the first round, and then um I did watch that game against uh, Ugo and Burr as well. He was he was fantastic. He's yeah he's He's a talent, a real talent. Holger is ruthless, and we know how he plays. He's beaten Djokovic in Paris. Djokovic's playground, pretty much. He owns all the records at the Paris Masters, and it's scary what he's able to achieve in the clinch, in the, these those clinch moments, so the clutch moments. So, yeah, Holger Runa, one to watch. Definitely, I reckon he's a real chance. He's fired up and looks primed. And look, you look at the bottom part of this, uh, this or the bottom the bottom quarter here. Ben Shelton, <laughs> JJ Wolf, <laughs> Roberto Bautista Agut, and Tommy Paul. Now, Tommy Paul, great win over Jensen Brooksby, who took down Casper Rude, mind you, in straight sets. And then you've got JJ. Jay, what an unbelievable performance. This guy, he's, yeah, a, th- John. he's a thick boy. He's a thi- <laughs> he's got he's got huge arms, huge quads. He rocks the sleeveless tops. Only he could pull it off, pretty much. Him and Marcos Giron are probably the only two that can pull this off. Maybe with the exception of Francis Tiafo. But these two, like JJ, has just got such a good game. He's great to watch. Big yeah. forehand, and then Ben Shelton. And I can't wait to hear Mike's thoughts on this. He is. This is his first trip outside of Australia, Joel. Isn't that insane? First trip. Oh, sorry, outside of America, not outside Australia. He's in Australia now. First trip outside of America. It's nuts. 
nuts what he's been able to achieve. He's in the second round of a Grand Slam. He only pretty much picked up a tennis racket at 14, but just the sheer confidence and demeanor on court against Alexi Popperin, he would never have experienced anything like that. I was in there last night in John Kane Arena, Joel, and the crowd was so vocal for Alexi. One guy even screamed yeah. out halfway through the second set, Ben Shelton, you look like your breath stinks. That's what he had to deal with last night. And he actually, he chuckled. He found it amusing. And that just shows a level-headed guy that is ready for the big time. And yeah. I'm so no. impressed. Yeah, me too, me too. He, he dealt with it really well, didn't he? Um, I um, I distinctly remember the point where he, he copped a bit of a heckle um, in, in between. Matter of fact, it was in between serves. I think he just put down a first serve and, and faulted. Um and then he got heckled and, and, and just out of nowhere, he, I mean, he double faulted in the end, but he just pulls out just casually at like a 215 kilometer second serve. And I think he missed it by maybe a foot or so, but um, I, I just, that, that told me that this is a guy who's got enough confidence to, to back himself in to make something like that. And, you know, that, that, that leads us on into the topic of his serve. I mean, oh. Wow, he, he was putting down absolute torpedoes. It's insane. He made the and LED light flicker when he hit it with oh a my, serve. Oh my goodness, it was it was insane. And look, pardon my ignorance, but look, I'm I'm not afraid to admit I had never heard of Ben Shelton before this this tournament. Um, and well, I'm, I'm glad I I'm glad that this hidden gem has been exposed to the world because he is some sort of talent. The power that this guy has, um. That, that's going to take him very, very, very far in his tennis career. And even Alexi Popperin said it himself in his post-match press conference. He was saying that he, he's he got the game to, to go top 20, if if not higher. And based on what I saw, I don't know about you, Val, but I, I think he has more than enough if he stays on the straight and narrow, if he keeps getting around the slams, which I'm sure he will now, to be top 10 for sure. I I agree. He, and look, it's very early to be saying something like that, but this is the first of many, many second weeks of a Grand Slam that Ben Shelton is going to be a part of. Mark our words on this show. He's a superstar in the making, and I loved watching him play because it's not just the serve. It's everything else. It's his movement. It's his precision, and it's his drop shot because he wasn't afraid to use that either. So Ben Shelton, yeah. one to watch. And look, two more players before we get to a break, and then Mike Cation. Andy Murray, just oh. Andrew Barron, <laughs> Sir Andrew Barron Murray. I, there are no more superlatives to describe him as a character and a competitor because they've all been used. He, it, What he was able to conjure up in the first round against Matteo Berrettini to win that in five in his first match on Rod Laver Arena in six years and then to come back out so late at night when Thanasi Kokonakis was serving for the match at 1.10 a.m. to come back and win it after 4 a.m., I'm sorry, there, there are not many more resilient characters than that. And he t- put up on Twitter two days ago that he bumped into the doctor and th- that um, looked after his hip when, he was, when, uh, when, he was fir- when it was first diagnosed in Australia and said, look, we can fix it, but your professional sports career will be over. And look at what Andy Murray has achieved. Absolutely yeah. sensational, and I have nothing but respect for that man, and that is why he deserves to be recognized as one of the greatest of his generation because he was and, and look, still is. If you can play like that with one hip and one metal hip, uh, yeah, no words. Still speechless at what he achieved at this Australian Open. Yeah, well said. And even uh, even in that match against uh, RBA that he lost um, in, in, in four sets in the third round, he just he just kept on going. He uh, mm. it was a very professional win by by RBA, but um, Andy Murray just kept staying the course and staying the course uh, until he eventually had no more to give. But um, yeah, I think um, look, uh, I, I think at certain times maybe in Andy Murray's career, he's potentially polarized people, but. I think when he eventually does retire, and maybe it's a little bit premature to be talking about retirement with with Andy Murray because he still might go around another season or two. Who knows? Um, but 
look, the legacy is clear. Um, we're gonna we're gonna remember him as a guy that just just didn't give up and just kept going and going and going. And um, look, it's kind of in the same in the same vein as Rafa, really. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, you you've got to respect that about about any player. Exactly. Just letting it go, even if they are playing through the pain, they'll play until the end of the match. And it's not very often that Mario retires. And Rafael Nadal gave Mackenzie McDonald that exact respect the other day in the second round when he clearly was laboring through that match. He did not look good in any way in terms of his pain. He was laboring around the court, trying to finish points off quickly. Looked like it was a left hip when he pulled up in the second set. And the distressing the distressing yeah. images were Shishka and Carlos Moya both crying on the uh, in his player box and just looking at him going oh my god just stop just stop <laughs> because it was putting them through more distress than it was putting Rafa through and um yeah. look credit to him for coming out because I don't think he looked good throughout the entire summer it was a miracle I thought that he got through the first match against Jack Draper and I made sure to go and watch it just in case this is the last time we see Rafael Nadal. Because, look, I know he doesn't want to talk about the retirement stuff, but you can't help but wonder, even with the little elongated goodbye after he walked off the court against Mackenzie McDonald, when he just stood there for a few seconds and waved, that was enough for me to think, oh, maybe this is the last time we see Rafael Nadal here in Melbourne. Yeah, well... It's it's hard to know, but look, I think the most telling sign, and you mentioned it there, Val, was um, was was the tears from from Shishka, was the the tears from from Carlos Moya. It's you don't you don't often see that. Like even even if a player is you know visibly injured and is still putting themselves through the ringer, it's it's not often that it gets to that level. Um, and Rafa, no less. I mean, he's how many times has, has Rafa done that and and, yeah. and just just kept battling through the pain and, and we haven't seen that. So look, it was, it was certainly a bit out of the ordinary. I've, I've kind of got this, this inkling that um, we, uh, we, we might hear some, some news from, from the Rafa camp a little bit before the clay court season, certainly leading into, into Roland Garros. And uh, you know what, I think it'd be, uh, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping this isn't the case. I would love to see Rafa one more time um, in, in Australia, but I think it'd be a, a wonderfully fitting farewell if uh, if his career wrapped up um, at his house, basically at the event that he has owned for the best part of, of twenty years. Yeah, and exactly right. I think Court Philip Chatrier. I think I think it'll be there when he does retire, um, and I think he'll probably this year. I still think he can go out and win it. I have no doubt, and he's oh, going to yeah, be out for yeah. six to eight weeks with this injury. Um, I think that that was what it was in the hip. Um, that's what he announced. So yeah, six to eight weeks. Um, and yeah, he'll be out till after March. Come back for the clay season. Prime himself. Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros. And I think that's where look possibly we may see Rafael Nadal retire. There are murmurings about that when people think that it'll happen, but I we don't know for sure until the man himself confirms it. But there is plenty more speculation uh, to come over the next few months, I think, with Rafa Nadal. But um, look, we'll uh, we'll let him decide, and we'll uh, and we'll come to that when we get there. But until then, we've got Mike Cation coming up next on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Joining me on Breakpoint Podcast is esteemed tennis broadcaster and host of the Behind the Racket Podcast, which we very much enjoy listening to on this show with uh, Noah Rubin, is the one and only Mike Cation. Mike, thank you very much for joining me on Breakpoint Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. I'm sorry we had to bring up Noah, but uh, it's <laughs> nice to be with you instead. Uh, certainly, certainly. But uh, look, this has been an outstanding tournament for the Americans and we've seen so many get through to the fourth round and even some better stories and narratives beforehand. But mm-hmm. First off, I want to ask you, seeing Ben Shelton live, yeah. I need to talk about his upside because <laughs> watching him, he was the most impressive raw talent that I have ever seen. Mm. His drop shots were magnificent. His speed around the court was mind-blowing. Yeah. And his power is so wonderful to yeah. watch. So talk to us a little bit about the journey. It's his first trip outside of America. So it's remarkable. You, you've seen him on the Challenger tournament, uh, yeah. on the Challenger tour and, and so on. So 
talk to us about his journey and what you what you're impressed by. Um, Val, the first thing very clearly is that he is a good human being. I can't overstate that. Um, he has been raised to make sure he looks everyone in the eye when he's talking to them. Please, thank you, sir, ma'am. He's that kind of a human being, yeah. which makes all the rest of it a bit more remarkable, right? Um, so I, I got to know him a little bit in June of last year. That was his first real stretch on the Challenger circuit, um, right after he had won the National Collegiate Championship in the States. And he was so wide-eyed, felt like he had no idea what was going on around him. Um, Chris Eubanks is another American player who, who won around here. Um, he and I and Ben, we went out to dinner together and little things like he didn't know about getting racket strung, where that happens and just little things that we just kind of take for yeah. granted being around it forever. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm still I just can't get my head around yeah. is the fact that that was June and we're in January seven months later and he just looks the part. We, we saw it. it. It was easy to see even a, a year previous when he was kind of in the middle of a lineup in a collegiate mm. team that he's athletic. The serve is massive. There's something uh, fiery about him internally that you could see that there was something. I just never would yeah. have thought it's this quick. Yep. Um, I think that a lot of that has to go with his work ethic. Raised His dad, obviously, Brian Shelton, the guy who is top 60 in the world, they just drilled in him, when you are working, you work. When you're off, you have fun. And he takes it very seriously. And I just, I can't believe he's here in the fourth round already um, of, a, of a major. And it, it is shocking to me to see him put it all together in one way and not at all shocking in another. What do you think it is about his game that has surprised the rest of the tour? Because he's obviously come on in leaps and bounds. So what do you think it is? I think, number one, the, the serve. It yeah. makes things so easy mm. for him at times, right? His ability to just come through, get a couple of easy games early in sets and just yeah. makes it such a challenge when you're returning against him, the lefty serve especially, right? Um, I, I think more than that, though, is the competitiveness. Everybody in terms of competitiveness is, you know, you, you kind of compare it with Nadal. That is kind of the gold standard, yeah. right? He is... For the American men over the last 10 years, I'd say, are the ones who are on the, the, the up and up, he's the one who kind of resembles that the most. When he is out there, there is a, an anger um, that he can play with at times, that he can tap into this competitive fire that is just, for somebody who hasn't played high-level juniors or played majors before, it is really unusual yeah. to see. But I think I think that's the biggest thing. And, and more than more, he's just finding that forehand as well, which was a cannon. Um, so the weapons just make it so easy. But I, I think it's that, that fire that he has that I just didn't know was there early. And he's so tall as well. He's, sure. I think, six foot four. So that, that obviously helps with the serve and the power. But he'll come up against JJ Wolf next. Yeah. And JJ, he's a tank. He's got yeah. massive arms, <laughs> massive quads. He's so thick, good Val. to watch. Thick. He is thick. <laughs> he is so good to watch. And he's another competitive beast that we've seen on the tour for a couple of years now. Yeah. But, you know, he, it's his maiden uh second week at a Grand Slam. Right. So he's going to be there. He's going to be up for the fight. Um, what, what are you expecting from this contest? Yeah, I think the somebody asked me about that earlier today. And I said, if if I'm looking at maybe big picture career, who's going to be top 10? I'm probably going to take Ben. Yeah. This today feels a little bit different. I, I'm not sure yet how Ben handles JJ's slice serve, which I know sounds like a, like a really minute point JJ has this remarkable ability to get you uncomfortable because especially with Ben being a lefty, it's going to be off his backhand wing, which he can struggle with at times. That's the first question for me. What I do know is both guys are going to be finding a ton of forehands. Yeah. So who's able to do that a little bit more? And I think it's going to be just one of these four set type of a things. Who's able to find the one break chance and capitalize on it a little bit more? I, I don't see myself. I don't see it one of these guys running away with it. I, I think the big question for me, who's able to just get a little bit better in terms of the return game, specifically if Ben is able to solve the slice serve, that's the way it could go quickly. Otherwise, I think it's just going to be physical tussle who's able to capitalize on the, the one or two chances they'll get. Exactly, and we saw that with Alexi in, in that match between right. him and Shelton, that 
you know, it was a couple of chances here and there and Ben took them. He was yes. unbelievable in that sense and in those clutch moments. So, look, there's been, you've, we've got JJ, we've got Ben. Yeah. We've also got Brennan Holt, Michael Moe, yeah. Tommy Paul, Seb Corner, <laughs> all of which have had outstanding tournaments, as has Francis Tiafo to an extent. Yeah. Not the standards that he would have liked after the US, right. but um, all of them are all on the same trajectory, you feel. Um, which one at the moment, outside of the ones that we've discussed, yeah. has been has impressed you the most throughout this Australian Open? Obviously, Porter um, and Paul still there. Yeah, actually, uh, two of them in, in specific. Yeah. Tommy, I, Sebi, I've kind of always just kind of known is yeah. going to be that guy. So yeah. I, Tommy is the one who's made the biggest strides, and um, maybe not so much the last year. He's been very rock solid, right? I and mean, it, it was always for him about learning to be a professional. I didn't know that he was going to be able to do that long term. Um, if I'm being perfectly mm. blunt, because I saw him for three or four years just kind of go out and yeah. enjoy life, yeah. which is totally fine. Exactly. But it's also not going to allow you to be at your best as a tennis player. And I, I think to see him really now do it week in, week out, month in, month out, that continues to impress me because I, I just didn't know if that was something that he was capable of, especially if he was on tour for a couple of years. So I'm impressed with him in that regard. And I've always said when he is flying around, when he is at that full speed, Tommy Paul is a top 20 player. And I'm, I'm so happy to see him getting there. Um, I, I also do want to highlight Michael Moe. Um, being a lucky loser is always a challenge. Uh, you feel like you're playing with some house money, right? That, yeah. that old cliche. But I, I, seeing him against Zverev and handle that big moment, that was a long time coming. Um, Mike is a guy who was with Tommy. Francis, Taylor, that whole group, Riley Opelka, who's been injured for a while, that whole group, and he was world number two as a junior. It has taken him a lot longer to get to that point. There are some fundamental flaws technically with what he does, especially on that forehand, um, or just kind of a little hitchy, and he would have some struggles, but then he would start to put things together, get to 130 to 100, and then get injured. Lose a coach, be out for four to six months start to rebuild, get to 100-ish again, same thing would happen. When you see somebody who's growing and just continues to have those kind of setbacks, Val, to have a moment like that is so rewarding. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just so happy he was able to experience it because of the fact that it's just such a difficult process. Not every, not everything is linear in this sport, right? Yeah. Like some of them, some people, Taylor Fritz being one of them, who's just had this steady growth now a Netflix star and all of that, right? <laughs> Mike's had it really difficult, very choppy. Um, so just to have a, a week where all of that work has been rewarded, I can't tell you how much that means to me personally, not alone, mm. you know, let alone him, but just to see somebody who's struggled that much to have success is quite a joy. And we've seen it here before in Australia on these shores. In sure. Brisbane, there was a performance where he got to the quarterfinals, then made the second round here, yes. then in 2020 did the same against, or 2021 did the yeah, same, correct. unfortunately played Rafa. Um, Rafa got the job done and <laughs> now all of a sudden he gets here, does so well. And it, it's such a good opportunity for him to springboard this season because there are so many challenger and ITF events in the USA. He can stay in his own country and just fight and progress up that way. I think bigger for him, to be honest, yeah. um, because it, it is hard when you see the, the people you've come up with who are, Again, Tommy, Taylor, Francis, right? Seeing them top 40 or better. For him now, he got to, I believe it's 86 in the live rankings yes, after yep. that. So now he has that opportunity to be in 250s. He has the opportunity to go through qualies at the 500s, right? So, you know, coming up in the States, we've actually got a few 250 events yeah. in Delray Beach and Dallas. He's going to be there. That's a big thing because, Huge. you know, as, as you know all too well, like if you have one or two good weeks at a 250, suddenly you move from 86 to 60 or 50, and then you're in all the 500s and you might sneak into a Masters. And that's, man, I, I can't tell you how hard it's yeah. been for him. Um, so to have, yeah, that big jump in the rankings like that, well done. It is such a consistent year for him last year, 10 quarter final or better results at a challenger. Now you get it in a, in a big event like this. Now you have some bigger opportunities. And also direct entry into Grand Slams. Yes, that cannot absolutely. be understated. That's $400,000 right there, Correct. Australian anyway, yeah. um, which is an amazing bankroll for someone that's been outside that top 100. It can just help them set up their foundations for you know possibly years to come. So it's a great story. Now, 
There are plenty of other Americans that we haven't mentioned. Mackenzie McDonald beat yep. Nadal, although Nadal injured. Amazing win for Mackenzie. Yep. Brandon Nakashima, next-gen winner in 2022. We haven't even spoken about Taylor Fritz. Yes. Riley Apelka. Where is American tennis at the moment? Because they've won the United Cup, so they're flying in that sense yeah. with both men and women. But where is American men's tennis? And in terms of Davis Cup results, what can you see happening in the near future? Because it looks so promising. Yeah, well, Val, you're going to get me in trouble if I start talking about the Davis <laughs> Cup situation because that was a bit ugly, uh, yeah. what happened last year. Because I, it was the first year in, in a long time that I thought this is really the, the time for the U.S. to step forward and take that. And what happened with the doubles and Rishi Brahm, that was a challenging situation. So I think, you know, that's that's going to be tough. I think the big picture is, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago, the USTA made a, a real commitment to it, it essentially just getting a bunch of athletes together and kind of throwing everything at the wall, see what sticks, right? Um, and, and that was also allowed them to put together a lot of tournaments you had a lot of challengers you had a lot of futures and the idea is if we get a bunch of people who are flooding into the top 200 they're all going to push each other flood into the top 100 and that's what we've got i think it's 13 ish yeah. men who are in the top 100 from the us that's massive right so you've got this incredible depth the problem with it in the states mm -hmm. is that you know, fairly or unfairly, we don't necessarily have that support for somebody who's 40 in the world. Mackenzie McDonald is not somebody that anybody knows in the U.S. outside of your diehards in tennis, right? It, we don't have the same love of sport necessarily that you do down here, uh, unless it's football, basketball. Um, it's really about seeing if we can get that one push to get Taylor there, Francis there, Ben Shelton there who wins or at least is in the final of a slam, right? And I this is this is all you know according to the USDA's plan. Bunch of people are there. There are opportunities. Some of the best athletes we can put forward are all right there, top fifteen, top twenty. Now it's a matter of one of them getting hot in one of these events. Certainly is. Mike, thank you very much for joining me on Breakpoint Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat about all things American tennis because it is on the upward trajectory and we are all just loving watching all the players come through so it's been a pleasure to chat about them with you and hopefully we'll get you on again soon i would love that and if i can put in a quick plug do you mind you sure can i was about to do it yeah no go <laughs> Not for even it for me i think one thing i'm i keep trying to preach as much as i can right now val is that challengers yep matter and so all of these challengers and you guys have some phenomenal ones down here that i i always tend to watch like late at night or early in the morning <laughs> um Make sure you go out to a challenger if it's near your community. I agree. Watch it online because they're all available for free. And those players are so, so close, and you never know if you're going to see the next Ben Shelton. Exactly right. Now, challenger tours are the lifeblood and the ITF as well. They are the lifeblood of tennis, and it's how our next champions grow and develop their own games. So you couldn't have said it better uh, if anybody else tried. But, yeah, Mike Cation, thank you very much for joining me on Breakpoint. Thank you, Val. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You are listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Ferbo and Joel Fritchie here with you talking all things tennis. A big thank you to Mike Cation for catching up with me today. It was an absolute pleasure to chat about the state of American tennis with him because there isn't a man with more knowledge about it and... Um, the way that he spoke so glowingly about how everything is placed and look at the players that they've got, Joel. It's it's just sensational. We alluded to it a little bit before in the first seg, but Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Brandon Nakashima, Mackenzie McDonald, Ben Shelton, Tommy mm. Paul, Riley Apalka, Maxime Cressy, um, Marcos Giron, JJ Wolf. Brandon Uncle Holt, Mo. Michael Moe, Dennis Kudler made the second round, Chris Eubanks made the second round. America is becoming a powerhouse again in tennis, and it's quite scary. So watch this space and watch what they're going to be doing for the next 10 years because they are putting together a very, very healthy list of players um, on the roster for the United States. But it is time to get to the women's side of the draw, Joel. We've spoken about the men now. The women... Again, extremely precarious how the draw sits here because it opened up drastically today. And before the tournament, all of us were so keen for a quarterfinal 
between Coco Goff and Igor Fiontek. And naturally, we got Alina Rybakina against Yelena Ostapenko. But <laughs> but they are two Grand Slam champions, which is so good for women's tennis because it's so open. Remember, we always say you can throw a blanket over 30 players in the women's yeah. draw and all 30 of them can win it. This is exactly the case because Ostapenko absolutely destroyed Coco Goff today, 7-5-6-3, and Alina Rybakina, I had the pleasure of being in that match. She was absolutely sensational against Iga Fiontek because she hit her off the court. And, the, and these are the players recently that have been the ones to beat Iga, the, the ones that have been able to hit through her. And there's a reason why Elena Rabakina is a Wimbledon champion because she has the ground strokes to back it up. And she's tall. She's actually, she's she's mm. over six foot. She's she's She can tower over. She's got a big serve big forehand, and her ground strokes were really causing Sviontek trouble today. And it was sensational. She made a lot of unforced errors, but that was the clear game plan because she was like, I'm just going to try and hit winners and try and make her uncomfortable on the court. And Sviontek couldn't go with it. She had a break in the second set, but Rabakina managed to get it straight back and then broke again late in the match to serve it out. So sensational win there. And then Ostapenko did a similar thing against Coco Goff. We know what Ostapenko can do. She did it six years ago now, which is just so strange that it happened that long ago. <laughs> but she won. she's won a Roland Garros title. She can win a Grand Slam. We know her game style can do it. But she just hasn't been able to put it together consistently enough. And the way that she played today was absolutely magnificent. So I'm really looking forward to this quarterfinal because I think it could be just as good, if not better, than Sviontek and Goff. Yeah, Uh Bad day to be a tennis ball. I'll say that. Much. I know. My God, um, those Dunlops are copying it. Yeah, I, I know. Um, yeah, look. Um, I guess it wasn't really surprising. Maybe the fact that uh, that uh, Elena got up against Ego was perhaps a surprise. But um, we, yeah, we obviously know what you can do. Wimbledon champion. Um, I, it was one of those matches, certainly where. Um, the the miss a lot of the misses were good misses. Um, she really went really went for it and yeah, um, yeah, and and kind of kind of in some respects, um, it wasn't such a shock that she was able to get the job done against Ega because, um, as you said, Bell, it is the kind of game um, she plays that can really can really bother Ega. The, the power hitting the the big serve, um, and obviously, you know the the, the physique of of uh, of Alana lends itself to that um, six foot. Um, and as as far as as far as Yelena Ostapenko is concerned, well, it's evidently it's one of those ones where she's she's stringing the stringing the wins together, and and with it is coming uh, coming the confidence. And you just well, we know that confidence is such a big part of. Of her game, if she doesn't really have it, she falls apart because she, you know, she really goes for goes for her shots. But it's uh, it's it's such a you know such a such a low percentage game so often that uh, if she's just that little bit off, then um, you know she could have been out in the first round probably. So yeah, look, this is going to be a great match. I can't I can't wait for it. Absolutely, and look, Joel, this is her first Grand Slam quarterfinal since Wimbledon in two thousand and eighteen, where she made the semis. It's only a fourth overall, so it's been a long time between drinks. At the Grand Slam that she won, Roland Garros, she's only been past the first round twice since then and not been past the first round, uh, sorry, the third round since she won it. Mm. So when she's confident, we know exactly what she can do, and she is confident at the moment. To dispatch Coco Goff like she did was phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to that quarterfinal. Jessica Pagula as well, Joel. She is looking very, very strong. And you look at what she's been able to put together um, so far. It's been a a little bit frightening, I'm not going to lie, because she's taken down um, Christian, 6-love, 6-1, Sasnovich, 6-2-7-6, Kostyuk, 6-love, 6-2, and Krachikova, 7-5, 6-2. 7-5-6-2. She's played quick matches. She's played aggressively. She hasn't lost all year, I don't think, because of the way that she played at the United Cup, where she the wins included one against Iga Fiontek in which she dispatched her. Yeah. Pagula is forming as probably the favourite to win this title, I reckon. Yeah, look, I, I think it's hers to lose. Um, 
one thing is, and she looks in absolute fantastic form, by the way. Um, definitely the form player of of the women's tour, and completely agree. Um, I, I think she she should be eyeing this title off as this is mine. I'm I'm going to go and get it. Um, and just just looking though at the at the remaining sort of high profile women, the seeds in in the draw, it's definitely going to be a power hitter. Yep. Um, that wins this event. Uh, Rudakina, Ostapenko, uh, Pegula, uh, Azarenka, Karolina Pliskova. Um, maybe not so much Carol, uh, Caroline Garcia. Probably plays a, a different kind of way. Magdalenette, not so much unseated as well. Um, Sabalenka, Benchich, maybe slightly different yep. too in the, in the kind of Garcia bracket. Um, Linda Fervatova, I want to run from her. But then even um, if, if you look at someone that's kind of just making a bit of a quiet run is Donna Vekic. Yeah, um, it's, it's be, this is really, really, just, really good to see. Yeah, she's really kind of just crept into the fourth round, but she's playing really well and, and kind of realizing a lot of the potential that that she has. And I guess maybe she doesn't have the the kind of power of a, of a Pegula or a, a Sabalenka or an, or an Azarenka or Ostapenko or, or Ribikina, but... The one thing that she she does have in in her game, um, you know, other than the fact that she's putting a she's put some consistent matches together, is she's got the height. So, um, you know, that's that's one thing that uh, that we know can can take you a long way um, in in women's tennis. Uh, yeah. So, like, if you, I mean, if you look at the remaining players, this is a really exciting run home. It certainly is, and you look at you look at the draw and the so one quarterfinal Rabakina v Ostapenko, second it's Pagula or Azarenka versus Lin Ju. Now Lin Ju had never even taken a set against the top ten player before she played Maria Sakari uh, the other night and came brilliant. out and absolutely she she destroyed well, not destroyed it was three sets but she was absolutely brilliant. So really looking forward to that one, and I think did you were you in the house for for that match, Joel at Margaret Court Arena? I think you were. Yeah, I, I was, I was, and um, yeah, I guess I, I think that um, I think that Lin Zhu really outwitted Maria mentally. Um, I actually thought I thought that Maria Maria Sakari was going to steamroll her after the second so did set I. because she took, she did take that second set comprehensively, the Greek, but um, yeah, I think. I, st- I still think that. <laughs> so just just looking at that, I don't know if you're watching the uh, the, the. I I saw it at the exact same time as you did. <laughs> the lasagna and the pastizio. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Lindu, um, yeah, definitely outwitted Maria. I think um she was calmer in the in the moments that mattered most. I think Maria, we know she's, uh, you know, feisty, but I think she was just a little bit too combustible in the moments that mattered, and uh, and Lindu really held her own. Um, when it counted, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a fantastic win for her, and and massive credit to her as well um, to to get the job done because uh, yeah, the the odds really seemed stacked against her um, going into that third set. No, certainly, and it was an amazing rebound from the young Chinese woman, and to get the job done, absolutely sensational. And what you were laughing at, Joel, the guy in the crowd was holding up a sign saying "Lasagna is greater than pasticcio," and uh, he was he's an right. Italian. He was an Italian fan, and he's a hundred percent right because lasagna is one of the greatest things ever made. So um, that is hilarious, but brilliant from Lin Ju. Well, I think Azarenka gets over the line. I would now look. It's probably a, a long shot, but I would love to see Victoria Azarenka salute at the Australian Open. She was It was really funny the other night. She was going back looking for her little um, her LED light in there um, to, in the wall of champions and or the, the hall of ah. champions. And she was like, where's mine? And she had to walk back a fair way because it's been 10 years since she last won. So fingers crossed that Victoria Azarenka can have a deeper run here because um, she deserves it. She's one of, the, one of the good guys in tennis. And yeah, I hope to see her... Um, have a bit of success here in uh, in Melbourne. Carolina Pliskova, Joel, she's still going. Yeah. Do we dare yeah. to dream? <laughs> Do we dare to dream? <laughs> well, uh, you'd have to say yes. You'd, you'd have to say yes. And this has been, oh, Carolina's been such a tease this whole time because, again, got the game, got all the qualities and the assets to win a Grand Slam, and it has just never quite been been able to get it. I think. Um, look, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd back her against uh, against a Garcia or a, or a Benchich, but um, 
Oh, again, like you, you've got to put her in the same bracket as Yolanda Ostapenko, really. I mean, if the confidence is there, there is kind of no limit to, I think, what she can do. Um, oh, it's just going to, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come come down to the day, I think, for, for the rest of the tournament for her. Um, yeah, I think so. But and look, I- I'm, 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 I'm hoping for her, but um, yeah, there's, there's always that one thing with Carolina where you just kind of hold back from saying that you think she can win it. I think she can continue to go deep. I reckon she could possibly make a semifinal, but I'm thinking that might be about where it ends. My heart says yes, but my gut says no. Yeah. It's kind of, like if she won it, I'd be stoked for her like I was with Caroline Wozniacki when she finally broke through. But I just don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. And we've said it, but look, who knows? Who knows? She's still there. She's given herself an amazing chance to do it. Caroline Garcia as well. She's here. She's in the um in the fourth round, and she'll take on Magdalenette. Look, I still think Garcia is one of my favorites to win this title. I, I, the way she's played, it was a really good win against Laura Siegerman. She's looking prime. Then we have the other fourth round, Sabalenka against Bencic. That is going to be brilliant, as will Vekic oh. versus Furvatova. Furvatova is going to be a star of the future. 17 years old, and she has not missed a beat this fortnight. So she's playing yep. beautifully. But there's so many players from this bottom half of the draw that could easily make the final. We mentioned Pliskova. Jung Shui is a good player as well. Caroline Garcia, Sabalenka, Bencic. Vekic has had has been touted since she was a junior, and Furvatova is still pretty much a junior um, and, and, yeah. doing, and doing this sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, I'm... I'm at a loss to think who is gonna who is gonna make the final from from this crop of players, but I'm excited to see how the narrative plays out. But I'm looking at Garcia's name and I'm looking at Sabalenka's name, and I feel as though that semi final, if we get it, could be a really really stunning contest. Yeah. Um, oh, and. Again, go back to this idea of being able to throw a blanket over an amount of players. I know. <laughs> on, on the WTA, I, I tell you what, Val, I really can't pick who's going to go furthest in in this no. half. I Look, I'm probably thinking it's going to be one of Garcia, Sabalenka, or, or Bencic. I think they're the ones that you kind of naturally gravitate to. But yep. I'll tell you what, there's really, for me, there's not a lot splitting them. Um, I actually think of those players, probably the one I kind of I kind of slant towards in terms of reliability is probably Belinda Bencic. I, I think um, I, I kind of trust her overall game more than Garcia and, and and more than Sabalenka. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna back Belinda from here. Actually, yeah. Look, I yeah I'm still gonna go with Garcia. I had her to win the tournament before it even started. And I have to stick with her because she's still there and she's fought so hard and so well. So I'm still sticking with Caroline. Um, I'm just so excited because the women's draw, again, we just have no idea. But with either draw, because Djokovic's injury is still lingering over the entire field. So the next week of the Australian Open is going to be awesome. There's no doubt about it. Watch it, follow it, make sure you're across everything because things can change on a dime. So really excited to see what is going to transpire at Melbourne Park. We won't do any – will we do – yeah, let's do some predictions, shall we? Why not? Because we usually usually do it in our our, like mid-Grand Slam show. Now, men's winner, men's finalist, women's winner, women's finalist, go. All right, so – Men's winner and finalist, I think I'm going to stick with my original prediction, which is Novak Djokovic to win number 10 against Steph. Women's, I'm going to say Jesse Pegula to win the whole thing. And I did have Arena Sabalenka in the final, but I'm going to change that to Bencic. All right. I am going to say, look... Novak hasn't shown enough to show this injury is going to bother him. So I still think Novak over, and I had Medvedev, he's gone. So probably going to say Stefano Tsitsipas as well, although Yannick Sinner is up a break in the third. So this could change tomorrow when this show is up, or as soon as this show is up, pretty much. Um, (laughs) The beauty of podcasting, hey? Um, But yeah, I think 
Djokovic wins over Steph in the final. Women's, I have to stick with Caroline Garcia and I think Jessica Pagula makes the final. So really excited to see if those are going to come true. If not, then we're going to yeah. be blessed with an amaz- even more amazing tournament. But we mu- before we go, we must go with the Benoit of the week. And we haven't discussed this like we didn't last time either. But <laughs> I think this one has to be unanimous that Andy Murray, it's got to be. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I was... I was maybe thinking Ben Shelton, but you know what? Let's you know, give think, let's uh, give two Ben Shelton and Andy Murray. We'll give a double Benoit because it is the first Grand Slam of the year, and we're feeling generous. Um, fair enough. But yeah, look, Murray, what a warrior! And I saw a stat, Bastian Fashan, yeah. who we had on late in the year last year. He put up a tweet that Rafa, when he won Roland Garros in 2017, to so set across seven matches, his court time was 12 hours and four minutes. Andy Murray's across three at this Australian Open. 14 hours and four minutes. <laughs> That's insanity. Nuts. That really is Nuts. Um, absolutely bizarre. And this is the first Austra- first Grand Slam in the modern era where neither of the, um or the open era, where neither of the top two seeds from each of the men's and women's singles draw have made it to the quarterfinals. So this tournament is just throwing up curveball after curveball. And I am here for it. We are here for it on Breakpoint Podcast. Joel Frucci, thank you very much. No worries, Val. We'll speak to you after the tournament. Looking looking forward to it. Very excited for that. And a big thank you to Mike Cation as well. You can catch his work um, on Twitter and also uh, the Challenger Tournaments. Please follow them. Do it because they are the lifeblood of tennis. You can hear his voice there. And also on the Behind the Racket podcast, you can search that on all of your good podcasting platforms and websites because it's a great show. Him and Noel Rubin really delve into the world of tennis and and the underbelly of tennis where the players do have to battle. It's not all glamorous in the tennis world, and that is the message that they try to get across, and it's it's an amazing show, so do go and listen to it. Uh, this has been Val Ferber and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Breakpoint Podcast and Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, and then also find us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts from because we will be there. We'll catch you for the end of the Australian Open because the next week, well, who knows what it's going to throw up.